The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Lots to talk about about the border reopening. But before that, GMAC. Ice Hockey, the North American Ice Hockey League. Woo! 11 seasons. Yes, the Winnipeg Jets kickoff. Can you believe it? It's 11 years that this team will have been in the National Hockey League when they complete this season. 10 full seasons back in the NHL. I cannot wait to see things get underway. Although I doubt I'll see it with my own two eyes <laughs> as the game no. gets underway at 9 o'clock tonight. I'm going to do my darndest to uh, get some naps in uh, sporadically this afternoon and uh, stay up and watch at least as much of the game as I can and, and listen to the call here on CJOB. And, and just, ah, this is going to be, I think, an incredible season. Last night on Hockey Night, Elliot Friedman went out on a limb. I don't know how much of a limb it is, but he says that the Jets will definitely be the the best Canadian team this year. Whoa. And um, well, he's not the only one saying that. No, there's, no, there's even bigger predictions. Bigger for this predictions, club. exactly. And so you know how I feel about making bold predictions and getting on board with those things, Lorenz. So uh, just look up Frank Saravalli, Winnipeg Jets. Do a Google search. Do that. And uh, I'm just going to leave it at that because uh, he has very high expectations, maybe the highest expectations for this team, and he knows his hockey. And if you're someone who's just sort of into the hockey or watches it just because you like to be a good fan or a good Manitoban or what have you, man, a whole other reason for people to watch this game tonight is the uh, dream come true day for Winnipeg Jets rookie Cole Perfetti. I read the tweet from Kelly Moore last night that was talking about the fact this young rookie was going to finally be able to play in his first NHL game tonight in the way that he was told by Coach Maurice to basically pick up the phone and call your parents because you're going to the show. You're in, baby. Uh, that brought tears to my eyes because I could just imagine that moment as a parent. You know, you work so hard. As a kid, you work so hard. And I thought, and they're trying now to get on flights to Orange County and all the rest. And I just thought that was wonderful, too. I like those side stories, Brett. You know, like the things that give you other reasons to watch the game if you're not necessarily, like, super into the game itself. Yeah, like, I, I there's the fact that I refer to it as the North American Ice <laughs> Hockey League has been a running gag now on this radio station sure. for several years. But it is born out of the fact that I have no issue with with admitting that I like sports but I'm not super into sports but it doesn't mean I don't care about the Winnipeg Jets or the Winnipeg Blue Bombers or our various sporting franchises in this great province uh, but yeah those things humanize the team because sometimes we can get lost in the weeds with the stats and all the stuff that people might not understand they might want to watch the game and still get some major enjoyment out of it but I think those little stories help to uh, put a face on what can otherwise just seem like you know, this monolith, this sporting monolith, GMAC. Yeah, well, listen, uh, no athlete under the spotlight brighter than uh, Blue Bomber kicker Ali Mortada over the last several days since his performance Friday night. And later on this morning, you will hear from him. And, Loren, dare I suggest that it is going to be pretty tough not to be cheering for him after hearing his words, his conversation with Bob Irving, and I agree with you a million percent, those inside looks, those behind-the-scene conversations, learning about these players that represent our city elsewhere, 
it is the key, in my view, of connecting on a different level with these sports teams. And, and, and that pride factor increases somehow for me. So all sorts of reasons, Brett, to cheer for Manitoba this morning. We get the Jets tonight. We're looking for that, for the kicker to make good on his promise to do better. He hopes later this week uh, against the Elks. And of course, if you got some other bright lights to chase, we have, uh, is Braun with us now? We're bringing on Braun early, I think, for a good little morning. Aurora Borealis chat. What'd you get up to last night? Speaking of, late I nights? am a roaring boar. I've heard that before. <laughs> So witty. Always on the ball, Jeff Braun. I had such a great laugh this morning, Jeff, when I saw you went out uh, northern lights hunting, but you found something else. What happened? Yeah, well, my girlfriend Kim and I thought, well, you know, let's go. She loves the north, looking at the northern lights, so we thought, well, we'll go out and see if we can't see them because, you know, we had word yesterday that the night before they had been great and maybe they would be again last night. So we went to Birds Hill Park because we thought it would be peaceful and away from the light pollution and, uh, you know, not on the side of a highway or something like that, that would, might be a dangerous place to stop. So we went to Birdtail Park, and there were a lot of people in that park. I assume they were there for the same reason, at least I hope they were. Don't know why else you would go to the 9.30 at night in the pitch black to the park. Um, but... Jeff, do I need to tell you, or <laughs> should, I text, also, should I text it to you? Yeah, text it to me. It did cross my mind, too, that it's like, oh, it's Halloween month, and this is spooky. We probably ought not to be here because this is where people get axe murdered to death. But, uh <laughs> Wow. They don't. We, okay. we found us. We pulled over and we were, and it was nice and dark. And we thought, well, the lights weren't out. And we thought, well, we'll wait a few minutes. And maybe something will happen. And it was very, you know, a tranquil setting. And then all of a sudden we hear like this roar and we look over and uh, like about a dozen giant trucks come pulling up and they stopped right in front of us. And we're like, what the hell is this? And uh, we gathered that it said you know, there was. From the trucks, and one was a catering truck and stuff. It was like, oh, this is like a movie production, either wrapping up for the day or coming in super early to set up for the next day or something like that. It was the most bizarre thing. And uh, we actually turned around and drove past where they had come from, and there were some signs saying, you know, set here and this sort of thing, tech here. So I guess there's some sort of production that's been going on in Birdtail Park, and uh, it landed right in front of us when we thought we were down the most peaceful spot in the province to <laughs> do some stargazing. <laughs> so well, you you're didn't... not the only one. There was a few people that I saw post getting caught in that. And the convoy, some some folks were calling it. Like, I'm going to convoy a movie trucks. Yeah, it was really weird. And we, we never, I didn't know where they went. They went out to different entrance and we came in but uh, or and i don't know what production it was but it caught us quite off guard it was quite a surprise well that's too bad you didn't get to see the northern lights your peaceful setting was ruined by the movie convoy but you're a good boyfriend you went out to birds oh, hill it is the movie convoy i just connected these dots that's the name of it no it's just a movie convoy uh, never yeah. mind ignore me <laughs> Wow. I was like, oh, the movie's name is Convoy. Wow, that was just... Convoy of movie production yeah, no. vehicles. I said it first, but then... If the movie there turns movie out to be called Convoy, Convoy... There is a movie called Convoy from the 70s. Oh, well, maybe we have a new one. <laughs> 2021. Okay, that's uh, I guess that's from the movie Convoy. GMAC, all right. We'll yes, get- sir. Okay, very good. <laughs> that's a fun song. Uh, but we got to talk about something pretty serious here because stricter quarantine rules are in effect uh, to people around living in Manitoba's Southern Health Region. 
Yeah, it's one more effort that officials say they're trying to put in place to curb rising community transmission in that area. And so these new rules went in effect pretty much as soon as they were announced yesterday. Global's Brittany Greenslade explains. It encompasses just 15% of Manitoba's population, but the Southern Health Region is consistently at the front of the pack when it comes to COVID cases. We're looking at is, is increased transmission, right? We're seeing rates of infection that are really high in that region as well. Disproportionately, we're seeing hospitalizations coming from Southern Health, and disproportionately, we're going to see fatalities from there as well. Seven of nine people who died from COVID since Friday were from Southern Health, and community transmission is widespread. If you aren't vaccinated, you have a date with COVID coming um, because this Delta uh, variant is just so transmissible. And studies have shown that within a household, transmission of Delta amongst unprotected people is pretty much 100%. That combined with low vaccination rates has prompted the province to tighten isolation requirements for entire households in the area. Household members of close contacts or symptomatic people who have not had any known COVID-19 exposures must also self-isolate. As an example, if a Southern Health student is symptomatic or if they are identified as a closed contact, their siblings should self-isolate until their test results are known. Those who do not have symptoms and are either fully vaccinated or had COVID in the last six months are exempt. It's a move epidemiologist Cynthia Carr says had to happen if Manitobans want to continue spending future holidays together safely. We don't want to be in the same situation we were last year where we saw, you know, that escalation of cases uh, from the end of October through to November and pretty lonely holiday season for people. Health officials say they'll be keeping an eye on post-Thanksgiving numbers. And if the situation continues to worsen, further restrictions could be imposed. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. Self-isolation. That's putting a lot of trust in a lot of people, Loren. Yeah, you know, I've been, I, I was wondering yesterday if we were going to hear a bit more about what might be done, more targeted restrictions to this area. I'm not really sure what's left really in the toolbox for this. You know, the, part of the equation they keep talking about wanting to increase vaccination rates in this part, my part, Southern Health Region part of the province and you know like I was looking and sharing with you guys yesterday I did a screen grab back on October 1st of the vaccination uptake in the arm of Stanley which is just the rural municipality outside Winkler and Morden. Uh, October 1st it was 24.2 percent yesterday I looked at it again 24.7 percent so the needle had been moved 0.5 percent in about 10 days time that's part of it too and I, I don't know what if anything can be done to change that that again I I this is such a, a low rate, and that's part of the problem in terms of what the officials say, that more people need to be vaccinated. Well, that's that needle has not moved much in 10 to 15 days. Right now, I want to talk about how after 20 long months, the United States is finally ready to reopen its land borders with Canada and Mexico. Yeah, so this reopening is set to happen sometime in early November, Brett, and only those who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 will be allowed to cross into the states. The specific date for reopening and all those questions around what kind of vaccines will be expect accepted, well, that's still not known. Global Washington Bureau reporter Reggie, Reggie Cicchini has been following this story, I feel like, all through the night, Reggie, and joins us now. Good morning. Hey, good morning. 
So what do we know? There's lots of questions about the vaccine types. We'll get to that in a moment. But the date, do we have any more details on when this border reopening might happen? So we don't have a date yet. Uh, the White House hasn't pinned one down exactly. All we know is that it will be sometime in early November that Canadians will be allowed to cross into the United States if they are vaccinated uh, and they can come in for non-essential uh, purposes. And then in November, this is a two-step process, in uh, in January, all people coming into the United States will have to be vaccinated. And that's because in November, when vaccinated Canadians can travel across, uh, essential workers like truck drivers or healthcare workers, they can remain unvaccinated to try and get themselves uh, vaccinated uh, and have some time to work through this without interrupting kind of the economic flow. Uh, so that's why it's two-step. November, vaccinated, non-essential. January, entering all vaccinated. Reggie, when my buddy came up from California back in August, he crossed at Emerson Pembina and he needed not only the proof of vaccination, but also a negative COVID test. Is that going to be part of what happens if we want to drive across the border heading south? Will we need double vaccination and a negative test? So according to White House officials uh, last night on a phone call, they had said that when these new rules go in place, the testing requirement uh, for inbound travel into the United States, at least at land borders, is going to go away. You won't need to test negative to go into the United States. Is Canada going to reciprocate with that? We don't know. You may likely need a test if you're in the United States to come back into Canada. Uh, they're also saying that air travel may uh, not need to have uh, a, a, a negative test uh, as well. These are things that are still being worked out. This is why we're not seeing kind of an immediate input of these new policies uh, and they're waiting until November. It is worth pointing out here, guys, that on October 21st, they are going to extend uh, that border closure restriction that has been extended for months and months now solely because they're trying to buy themselves a little bit of extra time here to pinpoint the exact day and figure out the exact logistics that are going to be needed. Which vaccines are going to be on the list of those accepted, Reggie? Anything that is uh, approved in the United States by the FDA, but also anything approved by the World Health Organization, which would include AstraZeneca. We know millions of people have received that dose. It's not approved in the United States, but that is going to be something the CDC is likely going to allow. What's unknown here is if people with a mixed dose are going to be allowed in. The White House says the CDC is likely going uh, to allow people with a mixed dose, which is millions of people in Canada, millions of people across uh, the EU and the UK. That's likely something that's going to happen, but the CDC is still going through data. That doesn't happen down here, mixed dosing. So they're looking at studies, and an announcement on that is expected to come in the coming weeks, likely timed with the border reopening. So clear to be clear here, Reggie, next week we will likely hear that extension of the closure that we've been getting around the 21st of every month for the past 20 months. But that's just because they don't know the exact date in November to which we'll reopen. Yeah, exactly. So you may not get the exact 30-day closure that we've been right. seeing month after month here. But what we will hear from the DHS is that the extension will remain in place. And then it will likely be targeted to an exact date in November when the first few travelers are going to be allowed in. It's worth pointing out here that all of this does have ties to uh, the ongoing immigration policies and crisis down at the U.S. southern border. They were trying to work around plans uh, to deal with asylum, to deal with uh, immigration policy put in place during the Trump administration. What this does is deal with Title 19, which allows for non-essential travel. It is not going to allow people to cross the border mm -hmm. and seek asylum. This is a controversial policy that's been in place now for two administrations. That's still being worked out. But still, this is good news for Canadians looking to drive in who simply didn't want to keep flying in like they've been allowed to do for the last year and a half. Already one of our listeners.
listeners champing at the bit here, Reggie. Hey, the U.S. border will likely be open in time for Black Friday shopping. Can't wait to be able to travel to the U.S. again. That's music to the ears of border communities in the northern U.S. who count on Canadians to stoke the fires of their economy. Well, look, two things here. Number one, the supply chain issues and USPS issues in the United States making it almost impossible to try and get things put in the mail. So to be able to drive across the shop, you're going to save yourself uh, some hassle and some time uh, when it comes to buying yourself something. But you're right. This has been a huge economic impact uh, on the United States and on Canada, especially these border towns that are dependent on each other uh, to keep their economies humming along. In parts of uh, New York State, uh, Erie, uh, 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 rather uh, Niagara Falls, New York and Erie, Pennsylvania, they've been losing hundreds of millions of dollars to their economies over the last uh, 20 months. This is something that's extended across the dozen or so states that uh, touch the Canadian border. Uh, So this is going to provide a bit of a lift to the economy. It's likely not going to be an immediate roll in. You're not going to likely see thousands upon thousands of people flooding the borders. But even that initial trickle is going to inject some kind of dollars into an economy that have really been struggling since the pandemic hit. Global Washington Bureau Chief Reporter Reggie Giacchini. Loren, make it quick. I just wanted to say, because it's another sign of things returning to normal, Reggie just sent a note ahead of this hit. After 579 days at home, Reggie, you're back at work today? We finally have new digs, we have a new office, I have a window, and I don't have a cat sitting on my lap for the first time uh, since last March. Do you have pomegranate Pop-Tarts? I have no Pop-Tarts here. I have no Pop-Tarts, but I do have Trader Joe's granola bars. Hockey is going to be the inspiration, Greg, for this conversation. Well, yes, the Winnipeg Jets practiced yesterday ahead of getting on a flight to Southern California for tonight's game, their first game of the NHL season against Anaheim Ducks. And at one point, head coach Paul Maurice took aside 2020 first-round draft choice, 19-year-old Cole Perfetti, and let him know that he was getting into the lineup tonight. My dad was, you know, pretty happy. My Mom wasn't on the phone. I couldn't, uh, couldn't get a hold of her, so I just texted her um, before I came in here. But I got a hold of my dad, and, you know, my parents are huge supporters. They, they, you know, they work so hard to, to get me where I, where I am today. And, you know, they just, they almost started, my dad almost started crying on the phone. It's just, it's a, it's a special day. It's a whole family thing. You know, everyone put the effort in, you know, not just myself. There was a, a lot of people behind the scenes that, that uh, you know, got me here. So, you know, they're just excited and, and, and so happy. And, and just my dad said, OK, I'm going to look at flights and hung up the phone. So uh, I think he's working on that right now. So this morning, we want you to share with us the things your folks did for you in your pursuit of sport, academics, maybe work or just overall to help you become the person you are today. Tell us a story at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win Took tickets, November 27th, Club Region Event Centre. By the way, pre-sale today, and that pre-sale is Canada at Ticketmaster, and tickets go on sale tomorrow. We'll give our tickets away just after 9.15. So let's go around the horn here. Loren McNabb, why don't we start with you? Oh, man, where to even begin? First of all, that clip gave me goosebumps again. It's just so wonderful to think of the things that you do and work hard for your kids and then to be able to see it all come to fruition. I, I think I think of my dad, who was the very first one to put on the talk radio in the mornings when, we, when he'd take us to school and say, like, you've got to think outside your own community. you got to think outside this world. There's lots of things going on out there you need to be aware of. He was the first one who bought us a McLean subscription and a Global Mail subscription. I don't know if I had had those things 
if I would have gone down the road of where I went as a journalist. And they, my parents also gave us the Minidosa Tribune subscription <laughs> so that we could stay attached to the local community, too, because as much as they wanted us to expand our horizons, you know, where you come from is so much part of who we are. And then I think of my mom, too, who this day, when she knows I'm about to have a really busy day, like a back-to-school day where I'm combining uh, being a parent and a busy work day and wanting to do the best parts for both worlds, she she wakes up at 4 a.m. and says, I know this is going to be a big day for you or a hard day for you, and she remembers those little things. And she was the very first one. I was too scared to watch my very first television appearance for news because I was just like, this is going to be terrible. I'm terrible. I just don't know what I'm doing. And I was sick to my stomach outside and sat outside. She's like, I'll watch the show. I'll come and tell you how you did. And so she sat inside, came back out, gave me this big hug. You're great. You're going to be wonderful. I mean, I don't know where to go. You're like when your parents are in your corner, nothing is better. That's awesome, Loren. The, the, the Minnesota, the Minnedosa Tribune, I think probably <laughs> was what uh, sealed it for you. Jeff Braun, what about you? No, it's a similar story over here, and it's just so many things all at once, especially when you're first, you know, leaving the nest uh, mm-hmm. after high school sort of thing. They, you know, helped me co-sign for a car because I had to move to Brandon to go to college. And then uh, it, when I got into looking for jobs, my dad, I had a resume. My dad updated it for me and sent it out, but didn't sh- proofread it before he sent it out. And it was, he's not a good speller. So, but uh, luckily it seems our old boss, Vic might not, must not have been a good speller either because he didn't uh, ding me for any of those spelling mistakes and still gave me the job at CJOB. So uh, thanks dad for the effort. Uh, maybe next time get a proofreader before you send out. The uh, Poitras, what about you? Oh, just, you know, there's, you know, spending your, you're by yourself and, you know, you're trying to break it in this business and you're, you're working in little towns and, you know, you a lot of nights spent, you know, wondering what you're doing. You're missing family events. You're missing your friends. They're, they're playing hockey and, and you're, you're kind of just uh, stuck. You know, you're, 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 you're lonely and you're, you're saying, I just want to go home. I, I can't do this. And, you know, a phone call to mom, a phone call to dad, uh, you know, get your head on straight and, and tells you to keep going and not quit. And, uh, and you know, you, you're doing this for a reason and you're doing this for something. And, you know, there was, I, I can't comment on, on how many times I had to, that had to happen. So yeah, no, just the, you know, unconditional support from my parents. Well, good for you, by the way, as well, for being brave enough to take that leap and, and yeah. move uh, to in pursuit of your dreams. A lot of us, including me, we're too chicken <laughs> to do that. So I'm just I'm thankful that I've ended up where I've ended up because sometimes you don't climb that ladder if you don't do that uh, nomadic radio stuff. Uh, Mackling, what about you? Well, my grandpa used to have me read the newspaper to him when I was five or six years old. There are pictures that are around somewhere of me doing that. And I can remember the, the Christmas that we got a tape recorder and my dad and my grandpa and my brother, we created our own little radio station, reading all the news and the sports stories and, and uh, using a typewriter to, to type up different stuff. But you know, the thing that sticks out for me when I hear something like that from Cole Perfetti is, uh, you know, I used to play football, I only played for a few years, but my dad was was my harshest critic, my biggest fan, but he would stand when the weather got cold, he would stand on the sidelines with his big brown leather mitts. And I refused to wear gloves as a wide receiver, whether it was snowing or not. And I would uh, go out and run a couple plays. And when I got to the sideline, my dad was standing there like my personal equipment manager and had that pair of gloves at the ready for me to warm up my hands before I went back into play. And that's just a small example of the things both my parents did and my grandfather did to encourage me to get to wherever I wanted to go. And Forte? 
Oh, I got to thank my parents big time. Uh, being a drummer, you know, starting drums at 10 years old and the years and the hours I used to play, I would annoy them. <laughs> All the band practices, all my friends coming over to jam. I, I don't know how they're not deaf. I really don't. <laughs> I had a feeling that your parents would have, it would have something to do with drums. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets to see Tuke on November 27th. Tell us a story about how your parents helped you in pursuit of your dreams. And if it's not something quite so big, maybe there's just a moment where your parents helped you out to kind of give you the positivity, the the reinforcement that you needed to take a step forward. And we'll give those away just after 9.15. But in the meantime, Mr. Fortier, Greg and Loren, turns out Paul Edmonds' report has to do with Cole Perfetti. Yes, in a jovial declaration yesterday, Winnipeg Jets head coach Paul Maurice announced that Cole Perfetti will in fact make his NHL debut tonight in the team season opener. But as Paul Edmonds explains in today's Jets report, don't be shocked if this kid is around for a lot longer than some perhaps expected. It was anything but a lock that Cole Perfetti was going to make the Winnipeg Jets roster when training camp started four weeks ago. His talent and draft status certainly warranted a look. However, this current edition of the local NHL team is older, more experienced, and certainly not in need of inserting a skilled teenager into their lineup. This is especially true since historically Winnipeg has handled their young first-round draft selections appropriately, sending players like Mark Shifley and Josh Morrissey back to junior for more experience, while allowing the likes of Patrick Liney to jump right in based on his unique skill set at the time. In other words, the organization has never rushed a player. But not only did Perfetti crack the official roster earlier this week, he'll be in the lineup to make his NHL debut tonight in Anaheim when the Jets open their new season against the Ducks. And while Perfetti has had a solid camp and certainly didn't look out of place, it was likely last Friday's exhibition game in Calgary that earned him tonight's opportunity. What emerged out of that game against the Flames was a player that moved swiftly, confidently, and with precision, and on a few impressive occasions, escaped traffic with the puck to make a play, all the while skating on his off wing as his talent was on full display. Now, Maurice went on to qualify that there is nothing permanent about Perfetti's status on the roster, especially with Shifley returning to the lineup Saturday night and the team holding other options for where he could play and develop this year, like the AHL. Although at this point, if he wasn't a lock to make the team in the first place, it shouldn't surprise anyone that the 19-year-old may just secure a more permanent spot moving forward, especially as the audition continues tonight in California. Thank you very much, Paul Edmonds. You'll hear from him every Wednesday morning at 6.55 and throughout the day on 6.80 CJOB. And of course, you'll hear from him tonight, pregame at 6.30, puck drop at 9 o'clock on your radio home of the Winnipeg Jets, 6.80 CJOB. Send us a text, 204-780-6868, about a time your parents, you know, the ways they supported you in your pursuit of your dreams. And we'll give those tickets away just after 9.15. But right now we want to talk about how as Canada and the U.S. work to get a larger percentage of its respective populations vaccinated, there are developments elsewhere which give those who are wary, hesitant, resistant, you choose the adjective, cause for concern. Yeah, and one of these developments, it comes from the Nordic countries as Sweden and Finland have decided to pause the use of the Moderna vaccine in young people over concerns about cardiovascular side effects, in particular a condition called 
myocarditis. So last Thursday, Finland's healthcare authority said it would offer the Pfizer vaccine to all men 30 and younger instead of the Moderna shot, Greg. Dr. Leslie Cooper is a cardiologist and chair in cardiovascular medicine at the Mayo Clinic and joins us this morning from Florida. Good morning, Dr. Cooper. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Well, thanks for your time. Uh, Before we get into these moves to limit the use of the Moderna vaccine, can you tell us a little bit about myocarditis in an overall sense? Myocarditis is an inflammation of the heart that is usually caused by a virus in North America and and in Europe. Uh, Usually it is a self-limited illness, but sometimes it can lead to chronic heart failure and even transplantation. Yeah, we've actually heard about this afflicting some extremely, you know, otherwise considered really healthy people, doctor, like at least two NHL players that we know of on one team have uh, been diagnosed with this condition. So how common is this or other cardiac conditions in those who not, let's not talk about the vaccine right now, but who just get COVID-19? Correct. So in young athletes and professional athletes, the rate of myocarditis diagnosed by a cardiac MRI is between 0.5 and 2%. That would be 1 in 50 to 1 in 200. Now, most of those are people who recover very quickly, but it is about, uh, that's the rate of the actual virus causing myocarditis. So if we can get to the concerns over the Moderna vaccine and men under 30 and myocarditis, what can you tell us about those concerns? Sure. Most of the data come from large studies in the U.S. and in Israel. Uh, The Israeli studies used the Pfizer vaccine exclusively, and they demonstrated that that, uh, young men between the ages of 16 and 30 had an elevated risk of myocarditis in the range of 1 in 6,000 in the 16 to 19-year-old range and about 1 in 10 to 20,000 in the older males. These were similar numbers to what we observed in our publication in the U.S. military, a rate of about 1 in 15 to 20,000 in uh, average age 25-year-old males. The risk is not elevated in, in women. So can you put that into a little bit more perspective? Numbers are great, uh, but can you just give us something to, to chew on in terms of how large of a concern this, this actually poses? Sure. I think the consensus is that compared to the actual virus, which uh, we quoted at a 1 in 50 to 1 in 200 rate of myocarditis, albeit mostly mild, the rate of myocarditis with the vaccine, the mRNA vaccines, is actually quite low. It's 1 in 6,000 to 1 in 10,000. So that's a lower number. And the severity of the virus, of the vaccine in uh, in the heart, is quite mild. 80% of these cases resolve spontaneously within a couple of weeks. So I think the summary is that the risk of the virus is much worse than the vaccine, even in young adults. So is there data supporting then that the risk, if I'm understanding you, doctor, you might, you could develop, you have a one in 6,000 chance of myocarditis with the vaccine, but it's a milder impact than your risk of the same heart condition should you contract COVID? That's correct. So uh, the metrics are really hospitalization and the hospitalization rate following an actual COVID infection um, in the population, even in that age range, is going to be higher than the risk with uh, the vaccine. So even in the young male population who have an elevated risk over their background rate of myocarditis, their risk is lower of any bad event with the vaccine than it is with an actual virus infection.
So, Dr. Cooper, do we know why uh, the difference in the numbers between the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine? And if these numbers are so low, if I can play uh, devil's advocate for a minute, if the numbers are so low, why are Sweden and Finland making this move? Great question. So both Sweden and Finland restricted the use of the Moderna vaccine in young males. And that was based on an unpublished study, at least as of, of yesterday. And so I don't have the data to know what they were citing. I can tell you that there was that the Israeli studies of more than 5 million people from the Ministry of Health only used Pfizer. And the U.S. studies that I've seen, although they bo- use both mRNA vaccines, I don't believe had a statistically significant difference. But uh, we really look forward to seeing the results from the unpublished study, uh, which was cited by Sweden and Finland in their decision. So is this just out of an abundance of caution? I don't want to put words in your mouth in any way, doctor. Well, you know, um, unfortunately, I don't have access to the data they were citing. I've seen the news reports, but I haven't uh, been able uh, to confirm that they were uh, there was a statistically significant increase in the Moderna versus the Pfizer vaccine from the source data. And so, unfortunately, um, you know, we have to uh, wait for those studies to be published from the Nordic countries to be able to judge whether that was the right decision or not. Dr. Leslie Cooper, a cardiologist and chair of cardiovascular medicine at the Mayo Clinic, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Dr. Cooper, thank you very much for this. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. As the Winnipeg Jets open their 2021-22 season tonight in Anaheim, California versus the Ducks. Puck drop just after 9 o'clock. The Curtis Carpets pregame show launches at 6.30 here on your radio home of the Winnipeg Jets, 680 CJOB. And we were talking earlier about all the expectations and predictions that have been placed on this team as the NHL season kicked off actually with two games last night. So the Jets are a dark horse pick to not only be the best of the Canadian teams this season, but also to be in the mix. I don't even want to say this out loud for the Stanley Cup. If you can believe it, this iteration of the Jets begins their 11th season in Winnipeg. 11 years, Greg. Yeah, it's so exciting and we're ready to get back at it as the Jets return to the Central Division following last season's shortened season with regular games, uh, regular season games versus only Canadian teams. Joining us this morning is a key member of our CJOB hockey coverage team, Leah Hextall. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. How is everyone doing on this season opening day for the Jets? I think we're pretty excited to a person over here, Leah. I guess you are as well. But let's let's jump right into the pressure, which I have to believe exists for the Jets to make hay, to to use a, you know, to use an agricultural term, Western (laughs) Manitoba term. Let's make some hay early with eight of their first 10 games coming against non-playoff teams from last season. Just how important is it to win games against teams you're quote unquote supposed to beat? Well, Greg, you know, the start of the season is so important for every franchise. We saw what happened in Tampa last night, losing to Pittsburgh mightily, and that is not something they're going to want to continue to do. But you are correct. They're going into the start of the season, and they have 
for once in a very long time, multiple games against the California teams. And usually the California teams, when you take that trip, it's a strong road trip. you got to play well. But there's very low expectations on the Anaheim, San Jose's, and L.A. Kings of the world. And the Jets have that opportunity. But I do want to reference the fact that these are non-playoff teams. That's what we're stating. How do we know that? We have a brand new sheet. It's not 56, it's 82. And we don't know what any team's going to do. And that's the glorious thing about a new ice sheet at the start of the season. But at the end of the day, Greg, you're absolutely right. A strong start to the season is very important to get out in front of it because, as we know, the season gets longer and harder as it goes on. So lots of people will be looking at the scoreboard, of course, but I think another piece of popular news that came out yesterday, and we've been talking about it this morning as well, Leah, is of course that the Jets' 2020 first-round choice, ninth overall, Cole Perfetti, he gets into the lineup for tonight, and the 19-year-old told media yesterday he's really hoping his parents make it to California to see the game. We don't know where. He's, he's young. He's got lots of time. We don't know where his career is going, but man, it is so special to have your first NHL game what kind of opportunity does this make for him because there's a pressure in another way on him as well this is an opportunity Lorraine that I think Cole Perfetti could have got last year at the end of the season and I understand that the Jets didn't want to rush him in because of what was going on but the fact of the matter is is this is a player that has scored at every level and I think Perfetti is going to bring a lovely wonderful energy into this lineup up front and I hope that they let him back You know, one of the things in talking to Pascal Vincent with the Manitoba Moose last year is he spoke about how Cole was able to adapt and his ability to adapt was awesome when it came from coming from the juniors to the AHL level, which is a very big step. We don't want to miss that. I mean, he came in and he did what he needed to do. He put up 26 points in 32 games. He was the AHL rookie of the month, I think, in the final month last season with the Moose. So this is exciting, but for Perfetti... It's all about how he manages his emotions. This is a huge moment in his life. He spoke about the fact that, you know, he called his parents immediately, wanted them to get on a plane to get to Anaheim. The fact is they might not be able to be there in person, uh, you know, with everything that's going on with travel. We hope they get there. But this is a huge opportunity, but he has to make sure he manages that. He can't do everything in one game. He has to keep it simple. He has to go in, play his game. It's important for him to keep moving his feet. He had a tendency to glide last year with the moose and they were always talking to him about move your feet because that's how you're going to be successful that's how you're going to make plays especially with his size he's not huge only 5'11 so now he's playing in the show he's playing in the nhl you got to move those feet babies to make those plays so i wish nothing but luck for cole perfetti and i think he's going to be a shot of adrenaline into this lineup leah hextall how much better do defensemen nate schmidt and brendan Dillon make the jets and how will their presence alter the style of game the jets are able to play it's huge it's, it's massive because it's not a Band-Aid, you know, and we can tell that by the term that both these players still have left on their contracts. They still have multiple years left on their deals, and Kevin Shoveldayoff brought them in not to just be a quick little fix for the Jets. They're here. They're going to be strong players for this team on the back end. It's going to give the biggest thing, it's going to give Paul Maurice options of not always having to put Maurice and Piant together. Brendan Dillon is probably going to be a little bit more of a stay-at-home type of defense, and you're probably going to see more offense from Nate Schmidt. But the thing that I'm hearing the most about these two players is how great they are in the room, how much they fit in, especially when it comes to Schmidt. He's boisterous. He's got an infectious personality. And I've already even heard from people in Vancouver that they're missing him in that room. And I think that's going to be excellent for this Jets team. And, you know, there's a lot of attention now, guys, on the coach in Paul Maurice. 
He has his fix on the defense. This has been the storyline for multiple years now, ever since the loss of Dustin Bufflin, the loss of Jacob Truba, et cetera. But now he's got his defense. He's got a great forward core. He's got one of the best goalies in the world and Connor Hellebeck. And I'm just going to say this. I know, Loren, you mentioned the word dark horse about, about them being Canada's team, the strongest team in the Winnipeg Jets. I think the Winnipeg Jets have everything they need to compete for a Stanley Cup this season. And not only do they have it, they need to compete for it. The window is open. It's time to win. Oh, boy, Leah, there we are agreeing very early in the season. I don't know about this. You shut your mouth. Really? What a start. Where'd the the fun go? Come on, you two. Well, you know, I'm sure at some point we'll be disagreeing. Oh, there's no question in my mind. And, Leah, uh, all joking aside, congratulations. We know you're taking the next step in your broadcast career Friday night. Ducks wild in Anaheim. First of all, congratulations. You know how proud we are of you and, and the affection we have for you genuinely and secondly how are you preparing for for your big night in the spotlight i'm uh, i'm memorizing a lot of numbers and names and talking to a lot of people on the wild and anaheim I actually talked to former winnipeg jet matt Hendricks yesterday to get a little bit of information as he's now the assistant director of player development down with the wild but um it's going to be thrilling i'm actually getting on a plane today to go to vancouver so i can get to anaheim first thing on Thursday morning, and uh, it's too bad I missed the Jets, but I will be watching the game tonight as part of my prep, so it doesn't get better than that. So thrilled to get going on Friday. Leah Hextall joining us live on 680 CJOB. Leah, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. We'll chat soon. Question of the day at cjob.com for credit aid. Helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca. Call 204-987-6890. More fully immunized Canadians will be able to visit the U.S. next month. Heading south anytime soon, especially with the land border now set to reopen. So far, we've got 16% who say absolutely, 41% who say eventually, and 43% say never. We've also put that question. Yeah, never. Never's a long time. Bit different on Twitter. We've got 22% absolutely, 55% say eventually, and that's where I fall in, and 24% say never. And uh, we've also asked a modified version of the poll on Instagram, just a simple yeah or nope on that one. But Still gee, a hard no, too, on Instagram there, though. 74% say nope. Yeah. This is interesting. Well, and I guess the, with the question being anytime soon, right? Like, so right. That could, depending on what your, your, your definition of soon could be, like, I, I can't see myself going needing to go to the United States or wanting Ugh. to for probably for a year. Like Vegas would be, would be cool, but like there's no immediate plans. I haven't even started talking about it with buddies. So if it pops up in the next six months, maybe I'm already looking at hotels. <laughs> really? I was just curious because I, you know, I'm not a huge cross border shopper. We never have been. We might go over there. Sometimes the kids might have tournaments or we'll maybe do it. You know, my sister lived down there for a bit and I do like to get there for different destinations. Greg, I know you have friends down there. You're hoping to see, soon um but i was curious if the hotels were already going to go up in price you know there were some great deals there to be had uh, i just wonder if they're banking on november say 15th and then the rates will go up right now it's pretty reasonable in grand forks i was just i was just curious i'm not actually booking an hotel right but at the same time i'm i am among those who are anxious to do something you know even if it's just crossing the border to hear the kids say huh America looks the same, you know? (laughs) It'd be nice just to get out. Well, it is nice for a change of scenery, but as so many have discovered, uh, East 
West and North also have uh, some tremendous opportunities that well and that way. And I, I would say, even though I'm due to be in Southern California like this time next month, I'm not. Sh- I'm still not sure how I feel about it. I-, I want to go. I want to be there because of the occasion that's being celebrated. Uh, we were supposed to be there for uh, a wedding July 1st, in fact. But, of course, because of the COVID situation in California, that wedding did not take place. And it was pushed back in large part. So uh, many folks from not only uh, from Canada, but across the United States would feel comfortable in getting to California. Well, now you've got the other side of uh, or the flip side of the coin. I guess we heard about Southwest Airlines and the trouble they're having and keeping their flights on time or even getting off the ground because of labor shortages. And you mentioned hotels. Holy smokes. If you're going anywhere in the States, uh, you're in for some sticker shock, depending on the locale, because hotel prices are through the roof in a lot of places. Did you make any headway, Greg, in your pursuit of the vaccine? I'm one step closer. Uh, I have a message to my doctor to get an appointment. I hope to hear back today. I'll need to get that done in the next uh, eight or nine days in order for that uh, two-week waiting period for my second shot to be really genuinely official if depending on how they're going to recognize the AstraZeneca slash uh, Moderna combination. So yeah, all sorts of stress on that front right now. I know it's first world problems. However, uh, this is something that, that, that really want to do and, and want sure. to be at this you've wedding. you've invested in it, right? Like, you, oh, you know, big you, time. It's money. It's going to cost you. There's time. We're not going to let you come back for a couple days if you don't go. You can't just take off and then come back if you can't get on that plane. Hey, Brett, we'll just have to sit at home. I don't want to sit at home. (laughs) Not good at that. You don't get on that plane. You ain't coming here. Okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, fair. Hey, before we talk hockey again, got just a reminder that the Big Bomber Bash code word of the day is CFL. So go to CJOB.com, find the contest page, and punch in the word CFL for your chance to win. As we told you last week, the union representing staff at the University of Manitoba remains one step closer to a strike. Members of the University of Manitoba Faculty Association, Brett, voted to authorize the union to hold a strike vote last Wednesday night. That voting process will begin this coming Saturday. The union, which represents full-time professors, librarians, lecturers, and instructors at the school, says salaries at the University of Manitoba are among the lowest in the country, making recruitment and retention of staff a problem, Loren. So, of course, this is important not just for staff, but students who are working their way through a year mid-COVID. Eric Thompson is UMFA Vice President. He's also a professor of history and joins us this morning for an update. Hi, Eric. Hi. Well, let's talk about the... Well, thanks for taking the time. I know this can be kind of a tumultuous part of the process. Where are we at with negotiations in terms of where your side is sitting, at least? Well, uh, as you said, we have a strike vote coming up. On the other side, we're also um, um, working at convincing the government um, to allow the university to bargain freely. Um, so we're, we're um, meeting with people at the legislature and, and hoping to see some resolution there. It's, it's really sad because it's, it's something President Benarock recognizes that we need to be paid more in order to recruit and retain good professors. Uh, but he, 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 uh, we need the flexibility to bargain freely. 
So, Eric, you made the suggestion just now. You also made it last week that the provincial government is interfering in these negotiations. Two-part question here. Are they allowed to do that? And maybe you could elaborate a little bit more on what makes you believe that's taking place. Well, the, the government, uh, sorry, the, the president of the university said it explicitly in Senate that they're bargaining with a mandate, and our, bargain, uh, our bargaining team has heard it, um, too, that has said it to us that, we have a provincial mandate that limits the amount of money that they can offer. Um, if you remember, there's a long history um, that we're participating in a lawsuit against the government that the uh, uh, we won at the first level and the government has appealed it to the Court of Appeals. Um, this goes back to 2016 in the Public Service Sustainability Act. Um, in, in that case, uh, they interfered, they, they caused the university to take a salary offer off the table in this case, they're giving a mandate which the university could choose to disobey, um, but we'd, we'd like it better if the government um, just took hands off collective bargaining because the university is financially healthy. Um, they, they banked over $90 million last year uh, despite COVID and, and the challenges of that. Tuition has increased, uh, but the pay of, of uh, professors and instructors has not. And this is really causing a lot of units to not be able to deliver the education that we want to deliver to uh, uh, Manitoba students and to, you know, not attract good researchers and and, uh, other people that we need to do our work. Eric, just for clarification here then, so it has been expressed to you that the university would like to pay you more than the offer that is on the table, and has it been expressed? We're under the impression that that there has been a little bit of an ultimatum expressed from the provincial government. If you do A, A being followed through on this higher than suggested uh, uh, wage increase, uh, something will happen uh, with regard to that $90 million surplus. Can you help clear that up for us? I'd like to be able to clear it up more, um, but we haven't gotten the, the letter or communication. The bargaining team says it was a verbal instruction that was quite detailed, but not um, you know something that they could just hand over the table. Um, but yes, in the past, we were awarded a little stipend last year, um, and the amount of that stipend was taken off the, the government grant to the University of Manitoba and distributed to other universities. So I assume that the uh, university administration is frightened of having their, um, you know, their government grant reduced by the amount that that uh, would be paid to us over the mandate letter. Now, the results of this strike vote will be known on the 19th. What sort of feedback are you, are you getting from students as they're smack and smack dab in the middle of the fall term? Well, I I, I can talk most about my own students um, who are, of course, disappointed. They've had a really rough year and a half. I, I mean, it's been a difficult time to be a student with our, our you know, sudden public health necessitated switch to online learning, the disruption that goes along with that. Some students have done well, but I think most have found it uh, a harder form uh, of learning and in a stressful time when they can't connect. So lots are, of course, anxious about yet another interruption to their um, education. Um, lots, though, do understand they, they, these these problems with student pay and, and retention and recruitment are something that are tangible for many students, and they, they see, in fact, the difficulties in programs, that there's limited course offerings, sudden cancellations, that popular professors leave. Um, so, so, you know, speaking from my own class, I, I hear a mix of, of, of concern and, and also um, you know, support for what our ultimate goals are. 
So we've, we are in the process of sending an email to the advanced education minister about what's being said today and what's been said in the past uh, from UMFUN regarding these negotiations. But to be clear, you're, I know that we're in the middle of a court process in terms of whether what role the government can play in these negotiations. But you're saying, again, as far as you understand, the government is inferring itself or inserting itself into these negotiations and directing the U of M what to give you? Yes, that's that's um, both what the university said in the uh, sorry the university president said Michael Benarock said in in uh, the university senate the governing body last Wednesday and what our our bargaining team um, heard specifically from their bargainers on on Friday. Eric Thompson, UMFA vice president and professor of history, joining us live on six eighty CJOB. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you very much. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. Ain't no peasant craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata? Yeah, it's our motto. What's a motto? Nothing. What's a motto with you? (laughs) (laughs) Just for you, McNabb. Still funny, 25 (laughs) years later. We aren't sure if Hakuna Matata is the motto of Blue Bomber place kicker Ali Motada, but it is part of his Twitter handle, at Hakuna underscore Motada. So he's got a little bit of a sense of humor, I would suggest. And that on on its own uh, also indicates maybe an approach to life, an overall sense of humor. You could argue, Brett, that Mortada hasn't had too much to laugh about since he joined the Blue Bombers in late August in three games. With the blue and gold, Mortada has missed six of ten field goal attempts, which means he's made four of ten, just to do the math for you there. But he's made nine of ten converts following touchdowns, which is a good thing. The 31-year-old has the leg. Most of his misses have had plenty of distance. His accuracy, though, seems to be a different situation altogether, Loren. Yeah, and so that's what people are talking about if you're a Blue Bomber fan. And so... On the day that head coach Mike O'Shea confirmed Murtada would be in the lineup Friday night, Bob Irving, our Bob Irving, caught up with Murtada following yesterday's practice. And if you weren't watching that game Friday or you weren't there last Friday when we beat the Elks, you should know that when he missed those field goal attempts, he was booed. And so Bob Irving asked the question, what is it like to be booed on your own home field? Obviously, that's... That's not a, that's not an experience a lot of people get to have in life is, you know, a crowd full of pe- people, you know, booing them. And that's, that's something that uh, I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life, but I'll, I'll grow from that. You know, that's, that's something that, that's what I, you know, it's, it comes with it, right? So it comes with the territory. And I knew that coming in. And, you know, I, that's why I feel like I, I was I was prepared for that and understand, you know, it's kind of like the yin and yang. It's, you know, there with the good come comes the bad. And I just got to work through it and, and take the next next step forward and, you know, realize that that happens because they're so passionate, because they love this game, because they love this team. And and who knows, man, maybe that experience brings us brings us closer, you know. Just got to go out and do my part. 
Ellie, I'm sure you've analyzed this to the nth degree. Why are you missing so much? You know, I don't, I don't really like making excuses from the film. It just seems like, you know, a little bit of an angle issue. You know, the ball, the ball, if you see the balls, they're not hooking, they're not pulling, right? They, they don't have that sort of trajectory. As it comes off my foot, it stays on that line, you know, and that's something watching the film, realizing that a little bit deeper, even than the first week. Um, and then in practice today, you know, making those adjustments and making sure that the ball takes off on the right path when it comes off my foot, you know, and, you know, it can, I can get pretty deep in what I'm, what I'm looking at, um, you know, but that's, that's it. The ball's got to start on the right trajectory. Yeah. Over the right going towards obviously the middle of the upper. I mean, that sounds, that sounds trivial, right. But, uh, I've been kicking off, you know, a certain spot for eight years and, you know, now it's a matter of making that, that change and change doesn't have to take a long time. Um, so for me, it's, it's really making sure that I'm real and, uh, I have good intention, right? I have the right intent on, on each kick to make sure that, that I'm able to execute. So when you go out there in Edmonton Friday night, Ali, I, I expect you're going to feel a fair bit of pressure. How are you going to deal with that? Uh, really, that's going to come from the preparation, you know, and I'm human. I'm, you know, those thoughts are going to come, but I can't really be afraid of those, of those thoughts, you know, and that's where I think when those thoughts come, that's actually exactly where you need to be. That's exactly where I need to be. And I need to overcome that because that's, that's opportunity for me as, as a pro, as a person even to, to overcome and move forward. So as disappointed and concerned fans of the Blue Bombers are about Mortada's performance to date, Brett Loren, I'm quite certain there are not too many uh, cheering against him, especially after hearing from him this morning. He took a bunch of questions yesterday, apparently, and sat there and patiently answered them all. I'm now rooting for him more than ever before. One, because I did not pick up on this Hakuna Mortada. Hello, where was that for the last little while, guys? You know how much I love a play on words, but I I like his attitude. And can we not boo players? Like, I don't get that. He didn't go out there to try. Nobody wants to miss field goal after field goal. I, I don't like the booing. Yeah, it's just part of the... I don't like it. Part of the game. They cheer you when you do well and boo you when you don't. So it's not a Kuna Matata lifestyle. <laughs> I, I I typically don't boo my team's own players. I understand the frustration and the concern. Uh, it's not my way of operation, but you know the fans pay the money. They're they're there to express how they feel. You like the cheers. Uh, sometimes the opposite uh, needs to be expressed. That's not helping him. Nine twenty, Mackling McGarry McNabb. We have two tickets to give away based on your text messages on how your parents supported your dreams, inspired by Cole Perfetti's dad. Almost crying when he found out his son's going to be playing tonight for the Winnipeg Jets and was panicking to try to book a flight to Orange County to get to Anaheim. So here are a couple of examples. Colin's on a heater with great stories. He actually won something last week, so not eligible for the two tickets we've got to give away, but. 
Great story. Yeah, it's uh, Colin, you're really uh, hitting us right in the feels, buddy. Growing up, we didn't have a ton of money, and my parents separated when I was 14. In high school, I always wanted to play high school hockey, but the fee to play even back in 1996 was fairly expensive to register for. To offset the cost, the high school was operating a fundraising program, which was selling frozen food products. My dad, who was my biggest supporter, spent every night for four weeks basically going door to door in neighborhoods like he was a young kid selling chocolate bars. He doesn't remember that. People thought he was crazy, but at the end of it all, I played three years of high school hockey and my dad sold 300 frozen pizzas. He always couldn't afford a a, a car, so he would either ride his bike to all my games no matter where they were in the winter He caught the bus. I knew that every time I looked toward the end of the rink, I would see his face and he would always give me the Don Cherry thumbs up. Colin, thanks so much. Great story, Colin. But today's winner is Don, who texts us every morning. He's a great storyteller. And Don says, my driving career, and he also sends us pictures of wherever he is on the road, be it Iowa, Nebraska, Montana, wherever. Uh, But he says, my driving career ambition started back in the early 1960s. Mom said the only car seat she could put me in to keep me from crying was one with a steering wheel. In 1986, they loaned me the 1800 bucks to take a class one driving course in Thunder Bay. 35 years later, here I am. For years, when I was competing in the annual MTA Truck Driving Championships, they would make the trip from Thunder Bay to Winnipeg for the weekend to come out, watch, and cheer me and my teammates on. I was once able to take Dad in a short trip with me. He thoroughly enjoyed it, but Mom, she was so terrified of trailers, she wouldn't even come within 20 feet of the truck, even when it was parked and shut off. (laughs) (laughs) Supported the dream, even though it terrified her. Don, congratulations. You win the two tickets November 27th. Yeah. Club Region Event Center. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. McNabb is gone for the day. She had an appointment, but she will rejoin us tomorrow morning on CJOB. These past 20 months have tested our health care system, our borders, our economy, and quite frankly, Greg, our patience. No doubt about it. COVID has touched pretty much every corner of this planet. And as we work our way through this fourth wave, we're still, still trying to understand where we went right and certainly where we went wrong. Preparing for situations like this is something experts actually practice for. This week, our Chief Provincial Public Health Officer, Dr. Brent Rusin, and Chief Nursing Officer, Lynette Saragusa, will join several experts from across North America to share their experiences, not just on this pandemic, but in other emergencies and unexpected events that have left valuable lessons. It's called the Disaster Management Conference, and it gets underway today in Winnipeg. Now, on the list of speakers, Commander Ramey Kyle. He's with the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C., and he was at the Capitol back in January during that violent insurrection. Commander Kyle joins us now. Commander, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, sir. So when you look back on that day, what still stands out for you right now? You know, it's even today. It just it just seems so unreal that that those events un- unfolded. Um, I, I still hold a lot of anger about it. Just that you know that that it happened and it was so pointless, and so many uh, so many people were injured and so many people lost their lives. 
Yeah, this uh, is obviously a, a difficult topic to discuss. You know, I'm looking at a picture of you right now, Commander Kyle, uh, as you stood. I don't know what you're standing on, but uh, you, you have members of the of the Washington P- Police Department, uh, you know, standing uh, at your feet and, and obviously hearing some words from you. You've been credited by colleagues for your calm demeanor and uh, the way you handled yourself that day with one officer recalling how when riders were trying to force their way into the entrance of the U.S. Capitol, you turned to them all and said, hold the line. Tell us about that moment. Yeah, so the, that picture was taken in the um, right at the Lower West Terrace door. Uh, if you think about uh, when every uh, U.S. president sworn into office, you know, you have the inaugural stage, and as they walk onto the inaugural stage, they come out the door, and that's where we were at. Uh, inside the door, it's, it's a it's what looks to be like a tunnel or a, a narrow hallway. And uh, just like most government facilities, you know, there's a, a magnetometer and an X-ray machine. And in that photo, I was actually standing on top of the X-ray machine trying to get a better vantage point of, uh, you know, the rioters and insurrectionists that were trying to get inside the Capitol. So when that uh, news broke, I remember it was Greg who first told me about it. He said, turn on CNN, and we, we couldn't believe what we were watching. And I imagine you couldn't believe what you were watching because it's just an unimaginable thing to think that anybody would attempt what was attempted. Um, what have you learned from that day? Well, I tell you, uh, I guess one of the things that I definitely learned, that, well, not even learned, but just you know, you just can't give up, no matter how, how dire the circumstances, no, no matter how, how outnumbered you are. Um, you know, something of that importance, that historical importance, like you just cannot give up. You have to rely on your uh, training. You have to rely on your coworkers and your friends. And uh, one way or another, you have to get through it and you have to be successful. I'm I'm trying to imagine what it was like for your members, those that 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 served, you know, in rank below you. And I I know you don't necessarily view it that way. I, I know that uh, policing is a very uh, tight knit community uh, from top to bottom within the the organization. What was it like? to watch uh, those that were maybe more so on the front lines than you were, your, your colleagues, your, your friends, your, 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 your colleagues standing and beco- coming face-to-face with fellow Americans who were intent on doing just about anything imaginable to get past them, to make their way into that capital. It, it, it still seems su- surreal to this moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when I was there, I was definitely uh, uh, worried about them. I was definitely uh, fearful that, you know, they would possibly um, sustain injuries. But at the same time, I, I remember, you know, being in that tunnel, and I remember, uh, you know, I would, I would get glimpses of uh, police officers I've worked for, uh, worked with, you know, for years. You know, some of the best the best guys and, and women, uh, very highly trained, very strong, very motivated. And I, I remember I would actually get strength from that, just seeing them and seeing them persevere through this and, uh you know, I would, I would catch a glimpse of an old friend and I would just think, you know, if he's here, we're going to be okay. And I, I really relied on that strength and, uh, you know, in, those, in that, that, uh, you know, that, that event. We're speaking with Commander Ramey Kyle. He's with the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C. He was at the Capitol back in January during that violent insurrection. And he's speaking with us today because he's one of the speakers at the Disaster Management Conference, which gets underway today in Winnipeg. And uh, Commander Ramey, what do you want disaster management experts to hear when you share your story with them this week? 
Well, I think uh, we're we're planning on talking about uh, you know our preparation for January six, all the events that led. I mean, January six was kind of the culmination of a of a lot of events in Washington D.C. that have been going on uh, you know the past year or so. Uh, so we're going to talk about our preparation, what was happening before that, uh, our response to the U.S. Capitol, how we handled it. Uh, we're going to be talking about you know some of the some of the internal communication uh, messaging, uh, some of the lessons learned. And, uh, you know, we're going to bring our firsthand experiences uh, and, and share those with the members here. I think I heard you say you're still angry about what happened January 6th. Did I hear that correctly, Commander Kyle? Yeah, that, that, that's correct. What are you so angry about? Uh, that it happened, how it's been handled since? Can you, can you take us down that road a little more? Um, you know, I mean, really just, just that it happened and that it was so pointless and that, you know, so many people were injured and, and lost their lives, uh, you know, for, for little, little to nothing, you know, from my perspective. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, in Washington, D.C., we have uh, First Amendment assemblies every single day where people air their grievances against the government. And uh, there's a way to do it. And there's a way definitely not to do it. And that was, uh, you know, demonstrated on January 6th, in a, you know, a, just a disastrous event. You said that you, there was preparation that was uh, being made prior to the events of that day. Uh, how much did that preparation help in dealing with what was just such an unprecedented situation? Yeah, so um, our preparation, our entire uh, police department, we were on full activation that day. Uh, you know, we had been in uh, communication with our partner agencies, you know, throughout the region, other law enforcement agencies. Uh, we actually had, you know, outside of the District of Columbia, we had other police agencies that were uh, mobilized and ready to respond and to assist, which they did, and they uh, they actually helped us out tremendously. Because um, you know, uh, this this was January sixth. It was it was almost like the the third third event of this type. So we had uh, two, uh, if you want to call them MAGA events or MAGA rallies before this, and you know, we had seen them kind of become larger in size and, and larger in their intensity. And so we knew that on January 6th that, that we were going to have something a little bit bigger and a little bit more intense. I would be remiss before we let you go if I, I didn't mention the, the officers who've, who've taken their own lives since this happened, Commander Kyle. Can you just uh, walk us through that a, a tiny bit and, and just help us understand what uh, police officers and, and those that, that went through what they did January 6th uh, how they got uh, to that point where, where they would take their own lives in the aftermath of this event. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a traumatic event and uh, uh, many, many officers that responded there, you know, they, they suffer not only uh, physical injuries, but also uh, emotional injuries. Um, and, you know, they're dealing with that today. Our, our police department has a, a remote, robust program where we're trying to help um, the officers cope with the, the experiences that they had. And, you know, even the experiences afterwards of trying to, you know, heal from some of these uh, emotional and physical injuries. Um, you know, there, there, there was a lot of officers after this event, you know, they, they were hurting. And uh, we've been trying uh, to get them the support that they need so that they can recover. Commander Ramey Kyle with the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C. Thank you very much for taking a few moments to speak to us this morning. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Once again, the commander is... Set to speak at the Disaster Management Conference, which gets underway today in Winnipeg. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.